Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. My name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Welcome back, everybody, for the next episode in our relationships series. Today, we're talking about friendships in the Cosmere. And we have had real great response, lots of downloads, lots of comments on the Facebook or Twitter, Reddit. We're everywhere. You can find us. Join the conversation. We are looking today at friendships. Brooke, before we begin, let's just say... Hashtag all spoilers all the time. We know this, people. Okay, we know this, but we're going to keep saying it because we're going to look at every single aspect we can of some of the biggest friendships in the Cosmere, starting with Kaladin and Syl. What's your first thoughts when I say Kaladin and Syl, Brooke? Well, they're one of my favorite pairings in the Cosmere, I would say. I love Syl. I love their relationship. They're one of the most central relationships to the Stormlight Archive, as we know. Yep. I think what is so unique or so interesting is that this is a relationship that we see go from really a curiosity, like a mere, hey, what's that little beam of light doing? It's acting all weird. That kaladin is experiencing and he's having just a very simplistic interaction with one of these spren on his you know risharian universe and we have that develop into a relationship that goes through so many different phases when there's like childlike silly sill that is just you know barely cognizant of what is going on uh and then that relationship continues to develop as the story develops and as the mystery around Spren and what all this means develops. We see it happen through Kaladin and Syl's eyes. Yeah, and at this point, their relationship has gone through so much. Like I would say this is one of the most deep and intimate relationships in the Cosmere. Like Each one of them have seen each other at difficult times and at happy times, like probably no one in the universe knows one another the way they know each other. That's a good point because we're talking so often about beings with incredible power or abilities, but what this comes down to is a very, very personal and intimate relationship that is, you know, slightly unique because uh, we don't have these types of relationships in our own world, and even the Rosharians didn't have them mm-hmm. for a very long time. But we have a relationship that's built not just on like the normal things you build relationship, like conversation and good times, right? Yeah, like because Syl is there with him all the time, so she knows like all of his thoughts, all of his moments of weakness, all of those things that typically in our lives people are not around for she's there for everything what i love so much about the way that brandon creates this relationship is that as we learn more about sill and the person that she was and the person that she is 
um, as she starts to remember those things, it's coinciding with every little power boost that Kaladin gets himself. So there's like more action and then more revealed in their relationship, which then allows their relationship to develop even further. Yeah, it's definitely a mutually beneficial relationship as or Nahel Bond relationships are supposed to be, I guess. But there's a really great quote that encapsulates this. Sil says, I'm doing it. It's both of us. But without me, nothing would be changing in you. I'm taking something from you and giving something in return. And that's kind of like the mystery of what's going on is what is being taken? What is being given? How does this Nahel bond kind of work? And then the mystery of what happened over the thousands of years of Rasharian history about the different people that had these Nahel bonds and like how that interacts with Odium's plan and honor and cultivation on Rashar. Like it's all interwoven and intermixed in such a way that we have a very simple and intimate relationship that is coinciding with all of this big stuff at the same time. Yeah. And I think this relationship is really unique also because as we see in Oathbringer, different Spren are different and some of them are more human-like than others. And Syl in particular, I think, is an especially human-like Spren, um, even to the point where in Oathbringer we see her taking on even more of uh, human qualities and teasing Kaladin about dating and girls and, you know, really being a friend to him more than just this like mystic magical thing that's like following him around. Absolutely. She is a way for Kaladin to kind of reattach himself to the world because he he pulled away so much in his depression. Yeah. And still kind of is that link for him back to emotion and feeling. And I really do think, as you mentioned, like Spren are different, but Syl is especially different because we know that she was bonded to someone else and that person died before the recreants. And so she did have kind of a, a more fully realized version of herself. She kind of was a person in that recreance timeline. Um, and then she lost so much when she kind of went behind the veil, uh, the long sleep. But then she comes back to Kaladin, and that's what she's remembering. She's remembering in large part like who she was before she knew Kaladin. And I think that's what makes her different than many of the other Spren, is this kind of she developed and she had a, a life and experiences and grew with another person in this super intimate way. And now she gets to do it again with Kaladin. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I am curious to see if as the other Knights Radiant, you know, develop their bonds, if their spren also start to behave more human-like, or if it really is something that is more particular to Syl and to honor spren, and if the other spren continue to behave in a little bit different ways. What I think is so important about Kaladin and Syl's relationship is that each of them is benefiting the other one. And this has been kind of like a recurring theme that we keep coming across mm -hmm. on all these different relationships going back the couple of episodes. But 
what's so important in any piece of literature or any piece of artwork is that you have these relationships where there is slow and subtle improvement because the relationship exists. And that goes back to the quote that you read. Um, Nothing would be happening in you without me. And that's what Osil is saying. So like you need both of these people in order to progress, in order to grow. And that partnership is so fun to just watch develop over these books and obviously heart-wrenching at times and and sad at times you know still runs away or is uh, kind of pushed away at times and you really feel for Kaladin in those moments and so it's really a a relationship that I have enjoyed watching over these multiple books because we have a real kind of in-depth feel of these two people now to take it over to another Nahel bond friendship we have shalon and her pattern and this is a bit of an interesting situation i think especially when contrasted with kaladin and sill because shalon and pattern have actually been together since shalon was a very young girl yeah i mean we're talking like three right yeah she was like like a a little toddler yeah exactly and so pattern has really been in shallan's life basically forever and the mystery of their relationship is obviously what happened in that time yeah instead of where contrasted to kaladin and sill you have this kind of evolution and growth going back and forth between these two characters because they have a continuous relationship whereas shallan and pattern they almost seem like they're newly bonded because there's this whole gap in the middle yeah that gap that gap is really what is so interesting uh and the mystery behind their relationship the cryptic aspect of their relationship (laughs) is because, of course, Shalon murders. Uh, I mean, it's we don't need to get into It's kind of self-defense. Yeah, it's a little bit of self-defense. It, we don't want to get into like a legal argument about like what is murder. <laughs> but she kills. There we go. We can definitely say that. <laughs> she kills with pattern her own mother. Yeah. That so trauma. So there's some uh, complicated stuff going on in that relationship. Yeah, and that trauma is what kind of shuts down Shalon for many, many years, and it's what she's only been kind of slowly recovering. It is so interesting to go back now, having gotten to Oathbringer, go back and look at those moments in Words of Radiance or especially Way of Kings Mm -hmm. where Shallan has a thought about her mother. That's what we know now is going on. And Brandon you know, writes it in a way where she's always brushing it off or pushing it aside um, or she says something just like, and then I stopped thinking about that or, or I just kind of like, she does these mental tricks to get her, herself away from that trauma, that original trauma with pattern uh, because it's the truth about herself and, and what happened. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we all know, Shalon's story is a story of, Um, A lot of mental disturbance. 
And I think something interesting about her relationship with Pattern is that in a lot of ways, Pattern actually knows more about Shalon than Shalon knows about herself because she has sort of erased a lot of things from her memory or, you know, she actively avoids them um, and they're suppressed. Whereas Pattern, we can assume, remembers everything. I find it, it, I mean, in so often, in many different ways, uh, Brandon is writing about how people deal with trauma and a little bit of like post-traumatic stress disorder. We see this in Dalinar and his alcoholism and and many other characters um, throughout the Cosmere, all kind of experiencing trauma and then how do they deal with that trauma. And I think the sort of defining thing here is that unlike Syl. Like if Syl was in this situation, you know she would just be like, come on, Kaladin, you need to remember. And she would kind of like force it on him. Whereas Pattern is a lot more hands-off, right? Like Pattern very much kind of stands on the sidelines, lets Shalon do what she's doing, steps in when he can help, but he's a much more hands-off partner for her. Until... That is, there are important moments when Shalon needs to, you know, like get a little dose yeah, of reality. Yeah, he gives her some gentle nudges. <laughs> Do you want to read the quote? Uh, because it's a fantastic quote and kind of gets at the dual nature of pattern, like letting Shalon be Shalon, but then at the same time having a lot more to offer. Yeah, he gives her some gentle prods to try to get her to take her place as a, a knight's radiant. One of those quotes is, And I know you have forgotten much of what once was. Those lies attracted me. But you cannot continue like this. You must admit the truth about me, about what I can do, and what we have done. Hmm. More, you must know yourself. And remember. You wish to help. You wish to prepare for the Everstorm, the spren of the unnatural one. You must become something. I did not come to you merely to teach you tricks of light. I love that quote. I love the like way that it cuts through a lot of patterns, normal, more hands-off behavior and gets at the heart of what is going on that Shalon has forgotten or, you know, as with trauma is avoiding what she is and what she, her and pattern are and what she is capable of. Uh, and, that still at this point is basically the entire reason why she hasn't really delved deep into her second uh, Knight's Radiant Power, which would be similar to Yasna's, the ability to go into uh, the cognitive realm and, and manipulate things. Yeah, soul casting, right? The specifics of soul casting to me are still very fuzzy in my own mind well and i think we have a word of brandon too saying that the process or the outcome of soul casting is different between orders of knights radiant so like shallan's soul casting won't be exactly like yasna's soul casting so i think that's pretty interesting yeah i mean the what we know so far and what we have seen is that Shalon is kind of inhibited or she's holding herself back uh, and Pattern is kind of continually trying to push her forward. So there is that growth and there is that kind of dual nature. 
I think probably what everyone recognized about Pattern in Oathbringer is that as he became, or as he is becoming more of a full person, he's also becoming very funny. Uh, Pattern was like a huge moment of levity in uh, aspects of Oathbringer, which is, you know, often a very sad book. Uh, Pattern's a good bright point, and I really love his personality that's kind of developing. Yeah, I agree, especially with Shallan's sort of witty banter um, that she often engages in. I like that Pattern has kind of also taken on a sense of humor and that they each relate in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge aspect of Shalon's personality. She's always like saying things a little bit too quickly for her own yeah, good. Yeah, a little bit sarcastic, a little bit cheeky. And now Pattern just comes out and he, he likes wordplay. And yeah, he, yeah. He, he's like, oh, jokes are great lies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so funny. And of course... That's what a lot of comedians <laughs> say about, you know, it's it's about misdirection kind of and yeah, surprise. Present, yeah, presenting one thing, giving someone an expectation and then removing it. Like that is so just funny that <laughs> the one spren that might become the most humorous of all spren is the, <laughs> the cryptic. Um it, in his like severe black cloak like looking so serious and then he's actually hilarious. <laughs> Isn't, I mean, uh, my like feeling, and did you get this as well, that like cryptics are kind of described similar to like death or. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, I see them like kind of like vampires. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Definitely got like that dark death vibe dark. going on. And like their appearance, I feel like, is so somber and serious. And then Pattern has this like playful personality. It, yeah, I love the uh, the contradiction, basically the lie yeah. that Pattern looks terrifying <laughs> and yet is hilarious. That's such a good point. He has his own little illusion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how much of this we're just like making up and reading into it, but you know, hats off I mean, to the, the creator point of yeah. Cosmere Conversations. <laughs> That's generally how it always goes. <laughs> I think that what we can say about the relationship, both seen with Kaladin and Syl and with Shallan and Pattern, is that there is a bond and an intimate relationship, knowing one another in their darkest moments, knowing things that even the humans don't want to admit about themselves, having that knowledge and then growing in tandem is the heart of a good friendship. And I think that's why we started with these uh, two relationships is because that's the heart of a friendship. Yeah, I mean, this next one, now that we're like putting it right after the two we've already spoken about, I feel like they have a lot in common. We're going to talk about Wax and Wayne, and they have their own kind of special bond. Definitely a humorous relationship and one that plays great on screen or you know on book on the screen of your mind exactly theater of the mind folks <laughs> i think that wax and wayne definitely has that like buddy cop vibe mixed with the old west obviously yeah they have some great witty banter back and forth interestingly i think this relationship 
could also be seen through the lens of like a mentor relationship or a parent relationship as well. Because there is an age difference right, yeah. between Wax, who's a little bit older, a little bit wiser, uh, but probably is going to... We could maybe say like a familial, like a brother relationship. Maybe not necessarily like a direct yeah. parent relationship, but yeah. kind of like a brotherly mentor. Yeah, type older of... brother. Yeah, I totally see that between the two of them. And it starts, obviously, with a little bit of tragedy because that's how we uh, womp, get womp, growth. Womp. Yeah, so te- well, tell us about the beginning of their relationship. What's the Wax and Wayne origin story? Well, Wayne was quite young. He was about 17 years old and he was into some shenanigans as many young boys are and was robbing a man at gunpoint, not intending to actually shoot him, just like, you know, trying to be tough and dangerous, accidentally did shoot him and was put on trial. At the trial, he finds out that that man is, you know, a pretty good dude, father of three. Now there's three kids that don't have a dad anymore and he's super repentant. He just like feels awful it's so traumatic he you know hates that he's done this and we're not sure how but wax as a lawman somehow arranges to save wayne from being hanged um and kind of takes wayne under his wing um and you know sets him straight teaches him some good morals um provides a little bit of direction and support for him and the two are basically inseparable ever since when we see this relationship develop over the three books we have so far in Mistborn Air 2, what I love about Wax and Wayne is that there is so much kind of a resistance and um, dismissiveness that occurs uh Often Wax will be saying, like, we need to do this thing. And Wayne is very not interested in doing (laughs) that thing. I love that their relationship is not on its surface one that we have kind of seen before. It, It does feel like something that is unique or that's not ever apparent in each of the different Cosmere books. Yeah. I mean, I hate to give a call to the very cliche naming of these two people, Wax and Wayne, um, which really annoyed me when I first started reading the books. Um, But they really are opposite sides of a coin. You know, if one of them is a full moon, the other one is a new moon. Wax is someone who is very somber and serious. He takes himself way too seriously, you know, and he really needs someone like Wayne who doesn't take anything at all seriously and is just constantly you know goofing around together they bring balance so they're like this little yin and yang we have so often seen wax and wayne in situations where their skill set in just the like action scenes work so well in tandem and they fight so well side by side i see the same type of symmetry or yin and yang in their personal relationship as well because as you pointed out wax takes himself very seriously wayne more freeform except on one issue and the one issue that wayne is so serious about and what goes back to their origin story is when he i think it's in the second book but but maybe in the third uh when he visits 
the monastery or like a it's like a school yeah Yeah. he goes to visit the daughter of the man that he killed and this is something that he does yearly that's a ritual and he gives them money Mm -hmm. and he goes tries to apologize yes uh which it appears at least this daughter and maybe the other ones are in a different situation and he's only really going back to this one but this daughter does not forgive him And it's really a heartbreaking scene when it puts in perspective, you know, who Wayne is at at a deeper level and Wax's impact on Wayne, the kind of like Wax is all about justice in, Mm -hmm. in, you know, the most kind of strict linear sense of just like things need to be made Mm -hmm. right. And that's what he gave. If he gave nothing else about his personality over to Wayne, I think he has. But if he gave nothing else, like that's the one key thing that we know with this hard proof that Wayne believes in now too. But I think Wayne felt that before he met Wax, right? Like he felt that in the trial when he learned about the person that he killed. And maybe like that aspect is more of the common ground that the two meet on. Oh, that's a good way to see it. Yeah, it's the thing that um, allows them to bond together. Yeah, to connect. They both understand the truth and the seriousness of, of that. And I think Wax is able to see how seriously Wayne does take that and how seriously he's affected by his actions. And so because of that repentance and remorse, you know, that is the whole thing that leads Wax to believe that Wayne is actually a good person and that, you know, justice in this case is saving his life. I love that both Wax and Wayne have a really like opposite approach to the other people in their lives, specifically the (laughs) women in their lives. Uh, I love that Wayne is uh, so cavalier with his attitude towards... uh, Yeah, Renette. Yeah, because he's always going after her. You know, she is clearly telling him, and I believe it's either hinted or like straight up said at one point that she's not interested in men. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That Wayne is like barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, exactly. But... He doesn't care. She's like, like, I will never be interested in you. <laughs> and, but he's he's always going for it, and he's like always putting himself out there, and he's always like a little bit silly in his uh, kind of over the top. Tons of unearned confidence. Yeah, and then he has it with uh, Melon as well. Yeah, uh, who is you know just a few hundred years older than <laughs> Wayne, but it's. It's a a levity and like a brightness, but I also feel that that's kind of a thing that rubs off a little bit on Wax when it comes to Steris specifically. You know, he has a lot of trouble um, with the idea of marriage and his role and meeting Steris and falling in love with Steris, I think in large part happens because Wayne is there to kind of yeah. like encourage him a little bit. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about how Steris softens Wax and that that's kind of the only way that he's able to open up to her. But I think also if he hadn't spent so many years with Wayne, who was also a softening influence on Wax, you know, he may never have been ready for that relationship. Yeah, oh, that's almost how I see it is that like, Without Wayne, I don't know if Wax would have been in the position to be in to fall in love with Saris. Yeah, because Wayne does encourage him quite a bit. Exactly. Like he's always there and kind of like checking Wax's 
dismissive nature and, and being like, hey, man, just go for it. Like, stop overthinking it and stop Yeah, like, it might be nice yeah, to exactly. have this lady in your life. And so I find that idea about their relationship, the one that is similar and, and why, like, we put it in this category of great friendships in the Cosmere, is that they are growing with each other and developing with each other, making each other better and different and rubbing off on each other. I felt that it was done in a unique way with Wax and Wayne, that we are having the same type of growth that we've seen in other relationships. But with Wax and Wayne, it was just like the writing was tighter, the jokes were funnier, the heartfelt moments felt like very real, like seeing when Wayne goes and like he is drunk, but he's not drunk uh, because he can heal it instantaneously. And so like, is he drinking to like not feel the pain? Uh, is he having this moment to for himself or is it for the girl? I just feel like there's so much introspection in that moment that is easy to overlook in all other parts of the book. You could just be like, Wayne is a silly character and you know he's just along for the ride. Uh, you could very easily, Wayne could just be like a two-bit character that could be yeah, forgotten. Yeah, it adds a lot of depth. And then, yeah, it just adds so much depth. And I think it's depth that came with time with Wax. And I feel like, as we've talked about, the reverse is true as well. So it's a great pairing. Love the name. I've always loved the names uh, because they are just a little yin and yang, a little wax and wane. Our next pairing have also spent quite a bit of time together. Also on Scadriel. We go to Zazed or Zazed, however you would like to pronounce it, and Tensoon. This relationship is of course one that we don't even know is happening at certain <laughs> times. We have Tensoon, who is a Chandra. Kandra? I say Chandra. All right, we'll go with Chandra. Tensoon is a 700 year old Chandra by the time that we get to see him in Mistborn Era 1. He is of the third generation, which means that the Lord Ruler made two generations before him, and then I think like five or six, maybe up to ten after him. Uh, but we have a super old entity. And the Chandra, of course, can change their forms at will uh, and perform contracts throughout the world for the Lord Ruler on the Lord Ruler's behalf. But this is the key part about Chandra that I want to leave with us to make all the relationship aspects make sense. Tensoon is given sentience by the spikes that are implanted in him. With blessings that are of ruin? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we have like a specific idea, but the spikes are hemallergic, and one of them gives a mist wraith sentience, uh, and then the second one allows for certain abilities or you know uh other qualities yes other qualities great way to say it uh but we have the two different spikes that are implanted in Tensoon that are giving him sentience and he is going to 
have a nice 700 years that we know nothing about. Uh, but in Era 1, he's going to first interact with Zazed as part of Kelsier's crew when he himself is impersonating another Chandra, or Sir. So he goes by Orsir, he befriends Vin, he befriends Zazed, they have conversations, uh, but the entire time, Tensoon is working on behalf of the bad guys. Infiltration. Spy. Which is kind of his main job, you know, it's his go-to move, <laughs> uh, and is for all of the Chandra. But what we start to get is that because we are seeing... Tensoon impersonate someone else. We don't know how much of it is real, but we know that eventually it is the relationship with Vin and the relationship with Zazed that are going to transform and literally save Scadriel. Yeah, originally I think his strongest relationship is with Vin, but obviously she is no longer alive at the end of the series. And the relationship that he takes with him, we then find out in Era 2, he's taken it with him through hundreds of years, is his relationship with Sazed or Harmony. It originally begins when Tensoon having grown to care for and respect and believe in Vin, sees Zazed as another key part of the prophecy. He sees Zazed as the announcer, the one who is uh, telling about the hero of age. The prophet. Yes. And so because Tensoon kind of sees an importance in Zay's. Oh, you are important in the roles that need to be played. Uh, he brings him into his confidence, and eventually he's going to take Zay's uh, to the Kandra home line. I think he's like the first outsider to go. Yeah, I think you're right. And that, of course, has a whole... Whole host of consequences. <laughs> I'm just going to finish all your sentences. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. Because I just start them and then have no idea where they're going. But I think that it is that bond that's formed like through Vin and then over to be between Zazed and Tensoon that we can see develop. And as Zazed goes to the Conjure homeland, Tensoon goes on trial. He's captured. He escapes. He goes back to save Zazed. We have this friendship that was developing in the background all the time where they these were kind of two side characters that were slowly getting closer and closer to one another until we have this moment in the Conjure homeland where Zazed is being attacked on all sides. I think the second generation is like sending waves of uh, different Conjure to go attack him and Ruin takes over through those spikes, mm, yeah. takes over Tensoon, and Tensoon begins to choke out Zayus to try to kill him. And because of the relationship that they had formed over these three books, over this experience, Tensoon chooses to sacrifice himself by giving up or forcing out of his body the two spikes, which leaves him in the Mist Wraith stage. So basically... He kind of commits suicide in order to save Zazed from himself. Yeah, isn't that part of the first contract that they are like all supposed to 
remove all their spikes and Tensun is like the first one who's like, we have to do it. Yeah, the resolution, I believe it's called. It was yeah. like always told to it will happen in yeah. s- at some point. And the older generations are like, nope, we're not doing it. Like they're all about self-preservation. And Tensun is like the revolutionary who follows through and you know kind of saves the day but i think even more interesting is when we flash forward to era two to find out that these two people who are really just acquaintances or you know casual friends i would say in era one have remained in touch and are still like in contact after all these years well and it's it's a little bit more than that because zay's puts the or gives back mist wraith tensoon his spikes uh and then they have 300 years of watching harmony work and the development into era two when we see tensoon again have a huge role but remember those spikes are like little radio waves that go off in tensoon's head that allow him to interact with harmony all the time he is literally because of the nature of his creation always connected to zay's slash harmony at this point by the time we get to era two he is able to communicate and i don't think it's like literally like they talk to each other uh i always felt like it was kind of more like urges or instances of kind of like uh well i mean wax talks quote unquote to harmony with his earring in like there are actual words that come through from harmony so i would assume it would be kind of the same thing at least when they choose to make it that way yeah i guess okay uh, i want to like yeah differentiate between two different ideas one is like when they are choosing to try to communicate and tensoon would be doing it purposefully to try to talk to harmony the same way that wax does when he praise or puts in the earring but i am also just talking about the influence of harmony that is always going to be felt inside of tensoon because of the spikes because of this the hemallergy that allows him to live he's like there's also some type of always present harmony inside of tensoon right yeah and he so, doesn't have the luxury of like taking out the earring exactly uh and so that is kind of how i see a conflict in their uh relationship as friends because it's not quite on even grounds yeah i mean that's always kind of the central conflict of the chondra is that in order to exist they kind of have to be subservient to this higher power yeah first ruin and now harmony it is kind of a question then like what role do they have? Are they friends? Is this more like a a slave master type of situation? I almost feel like they're like coworkers. <laughs> That's yes, that is exactly how I They've feel. They've been like working together yeah. for a long time. They know each other really well. Like they know exactly, you know, how they like to make their copies in the printer. <laughs> occasionally they get each other coffee, but not every day. Yeah, Just like occasionally. Like every once in a while one of them brings in donuts. <laughs> I love the idea of Tensoon just absorbing donuts, <laughs> not eating them, of course, just like of course, just putting them on his face and just like it molds. Okay, maybe I'm just talking about what I want to do. Uh, I think that <laughs> you just want to osmosisize donuts. Oh, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. That sounds so amazing. 
I only bring up the question because I think this is kind of a a central point of Mistborn Era 2 is Harmony is a little bit confused and it could partly be confused because of other Cosmere stuff going on. We know there's kind of a a haze that's attacking uh, Scadriel that uh, Harmony is trying to keep at bay and so his attention is elsewhere. But I feel like Harmony and Tensoon are linked to one another in such a way that Tensoon can like be a little bit of a reality check uh for Harmony and he, he like he's the one who Yeah, he kind of brings him back down to earth in a way because as we've seen the power of the shards transforms the vessel of the shards and so as time goes by more and more of Sazed fades away as he is you know, or as he was a human and someone who was very in touch with the needs of the people on the planet and what life is like for those people, that kind of thing. He gets further and further removed and is more and more of just an entity, just a god who is not as connected to the everyday needs of everyday people, right? Like he has a different perspective. And so as you're saying, Tensoon is kind of a reality check that can tether him back down to earth and remind him like, hey, don't get caught up in all the God stuff because you have real people who have real problems that we need to solve. And he's a, Tensoon is a, a central character in the hunt for bleeder uh, and his relationship uh, with Malon is super important. And so we find out like all this new information about Tensoon but I just see that all as you were just saying, as the tether for harmony. That even think about what Tensoon does. Tensoon absorbs humans and then copies them and behaves like them and interacts with them. He is literally, in a way, harmony's view on Scadriel. And if there was ever going to be a tether for harmony and i think what we're finding out is there needs to be a tether for yeah. harmony i think it's going to be ten soon i think that th- in the same way that their era one story kind of started with them as two acquaintances or, or two characters that are just kind of bumping up but then they have this huge moment together of sacrifice and growth and connection like we might see a similar thing happen uh, in era two, yeah. where like Tensoon is is bringing back um, or or tethering back Harmony slash Zay's to Scadriel. I think their relationship is going to continue to be important in that world. What's our last relationship that we're going to look at today? We are going to jump back on over to Rashar and take a look at Shalon again, but this time with Yasna. And this is another relationship that I think is really interesting. We went back and forth if we should include it in this episode because they're kind of friends and they're kind of mentor. And now they're also kind of family, like yeah. cousins. Yeah, they're cousins now. Um, they definitely have a complicated relationship. But I think, and mostly I just hope, that they will become friends more so in the later books. Let's put it this way. The ones that we've talked about so far, all those friendships that we've talked about so far, I think Yasna and Shalon have many aspects in their relationship already that we've seen in those friendships, but I don't think they're 
actually friends yet. I think they could become friends. I agree. They're not quite friends yet. And I think that's partially because when they first meet, they're certainly not on the same footing. Like they're not able to be friends because Yasna is older. She's very self-assured. She knows what she's doing. She's, you know, smart. She's a woman of the world. And Shalon is in a position to be a student, right? Like she is lacking a lot of those things and she needs to learn them. So there's no way for them to be friends because Shalon doesn't have anything necessarily to offer Yasna in that equal way. Yeah. So it definitely starts as a mentorship. Yeah. And that is what we see in their relationship early on. But then there are two things going on that uh, could, should be in our mind. One is that Shalon is deceiving Yasna, that she is lying to Yasna in order to fix her soul caster or steal uh, Yasna's soul caster. So she has an ulterior motive that doesn't allow her to have like a true mentorship relationship. But Yasna, in the same fold, is also a person who challenges and goes against many of the normal aspects of society, including with her mentorship with Shalon. Uh, I think multiple times she even said, you know, if I was a normal person, I would have sent you away long ago and I wouldn't keep entertaining you. But I'm not a normal person and she is abnormal in society and she is the outcast in society and so she keeps pushing the relationship towards this direction of we hope friends um (laughs) through her kind of resistance or her uniqueness yeah in a way I mean, Yasna is a complicated person because on one hand, I think, you know, she comes back from her quote unquote death, uh, makes it to Urethiru and, you know, meets Shalon again and kind of just expects Shalon to go back to being her mentee or her ward and learn from her. So clearly she's not like, hey, like, let's just be friends. She wants that superiority over Shalon. But then in ways, she does really level with Shalon. And even in the way of kings, she lets Shalon in. She lets Shalon see her friend. She tells Shalon things that she knows about um, the cognitive realm that she can't or won't tell anybody else. So in those ways, she does set the groundwork to build that friendship i think it is a little bit about becoming even with each other um like we saw with wax and wayne's relationship they didn't necessarily start on even grounds but then pretty quickly we and by the time we meet them they do seem to be on even grounds much more like friends but they started imbalanced and grew over time what we are seeing is the starting imbalanced with Yasna and Shalon and hopefully the growing over time. Obviously, part of this growth comes with the fact that Shalon is one of the few other radiants uh, and that they are going to grow as Knights Radiant together and their power levels are going to grow simultaneously and they will learn from one another just in the... Yeah, because they have similar powers as we previously discussed. So certainly at least that's one point of connection for them. But I think when we see them sort of quote unquote currently in Oathbringer, Shalon 
is essentially a completely different person. And a lot of that is because of Yasna, because she was under her tutelage and learned so much from her, uh, both personally and intellectually. She's able to become the person she is now, who is much more confident and self-assured. And because of all the trials that she goes through when Yasna allegedly dies um again that enables her to become a much more mature and confident person where now she and yasna are both mature confident women who have their own ideas and perspectives about the world i think that seeing them as equals is going to be such a cool experience in the next two books because shalon as far as we know is now you know very close to being the most advanced radiant so far. And Yasna is definitely right there with her, pretty close and maybe at the same point of kind of like flirting with the fourth ideal and maybe have already said it. But we have their personal relationship that I think is going to take on new aspects and, and continue to grow because... One of the important things is that Shalon does have that time away from Yasna. She doesn't just become like a mere copy or just a, another award uh, that Yasna goes through over, you know, a couple, a little bit of time and then throws it aside. No, that death of Yasna, in quotes, um, and then the experiences that Shalon has afterwards where she becomes Vale and, and learns the kind of a rougher side of life and um, gains her little followers, her squires. I mean, basically, that, that's yeah. what they become. Um, that That is so significant for Shalon as an individual so that by the time they are reunited, as you were saying, they're both kind of independent, self, more self-assured women what I think I'm trying to say is that Yasna feels like she needs to be knocked down a peg or two. She needs some vulnerability. All these other relationships we talked about is they have kind of supported each other through difficult times. They've been there in low points. And we assume that Yasna had some difficult points after she died, but we haven't seen those yet. I think we see them a little bit, not little. directly, but yeah. we see their effect. Yes. I'm even thinking about, you know, the moments when Yasna first shows up again and she thinks she's going to be the announcer, right? Like she thinks she's breaking news to everybody that she's going to be the one that has all of the information and all of the answers. And when she shows up, she finds out that actually everyone else knows more than she does. And that's basically the first time in her life that Yasna has been like the last to know something. And this was her thing. This was her project. This was her big idea that she was pursuing for most of her scholarship. Um, so I think we do see a few moments where Yasna is a bit taken aback and she is having to adjust and she maybe doesn't do that very well and kind of continues with her confident approach um you know and i don't know if she really absorbs those moments but i think we do start to see that and we even see shalon kind of snap at yasna and be like you don't know what you're talking about you've been gone so like stop um but then i think by the end we have that uh I think it's Yasna who writes the Ketek poem for Shalon's wedding. 
Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that that exists is just kind of an indication that Yasna is beginning to soften and beginning to see Shalon and accept Shalon for who she is now. So that's like the little, the little tiny thing that gives me hope for this relationship blossoming to what could be a really beautiful friendship between two very powerful and opinionated women who may not always agree. And I think that that is a kind of friendship, a kind of female friendship that I don't know if we have really ever seen. I think that it could become just a dope relationship to watch on the battlefield, mainly. <laughs> uh, like, Yasna obviously was crazy awesome. I mean, yeah. In Oathbringer. I mean, she is the cover of Oathbringer. True. We have Shalon, who then, you know, levels up in that battle when she's sending out all the projections and stuff like i think that there is so much possibility for these two women really what i think is so great is that in many ways it feels like brandon is writing these other stories and with each other story that he writes each wax and wane each steris and wax each little moment of growth for brandon i feel like he then brings that back and puts it all into the stormlight archive and so these relationships i feel like have gotten better with each book and i'm just like more hopeful uh that they continue to grow and continue to get more complex and have these kind of like subtle interwoven nature that by the end it really is as you were saying one of a relationship that we may never have seen in any other form of literature. That would be like super cool. And I think all the pieces are there. This has been so fun. We are actually going to add another episode to this relationship series um, by fan request. We had kind of been thinking about it, but then some fans uh, voiced their interest in covering the topic of rivals. Um, after. So that will be our next episode that you can look forward to. And if you have any opinions or thoughts on what we should cover when it comes to rivals or just like villains of the Cosmere, please let us know. Reach out on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. Ooh, I also want to address because a ton of people have reached out um, mentioning interest in doing rereads of various books. I just want to say that we are definitely thinking and considering and planning about doing full rereads before the next Stormlight book comes out. We still have quite a bit of time until that happens. So we're going to have to like schedule it out. We may be doing like a book club kind of thing where fans can like read along with us and then listen to the pod. Um, Anyway, just wanted to say that that is in the works. So if you're hoping for that, keep your ear out. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Destination.